Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Wild. Wild was written by Cheryl Strayed and was published in 2012. And the film adaptation was directed by Jean-Marc Vallée and came out in 2014. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. (laughs) (laughs) Another French name to pronounce. I always get those. Also, this is our first nonfiction book to movie adaptation. Yeah. This is like episode 16, I think, of the podcast. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Something like that. It took us this long to get to a nonfiction, though. Yeah, which is really exciting. And this is a memoir, so obviously a a true story. Um, But yeah, it's so cool to be doing a nonfiction, have this be a real, real story that was translated from book to movie. Yeah, and also, uh, we kind of got to listen to it in an interesting way. Yeah. We took... uh, during the time of uh, reading this, we took one trip to see your parents, mm-hmm. which was about like a two hour trip. Yeah. Uh, and then we also took a trip to see your sister mm-hmm. in Tennessee and yeah. from Pittsburgh to Tennessee around Knoxville. That's like eight hours, eight hours, like with no stops. Mm-hmm. And so we listened to this on audiobook. Yeah. And we got through about like 90 percent. Yeah. 90, 95 percent of the book just listening to it on audiobook together. Mm-hmm. So that was a cool experience getting to like sit beside each other while it went on. Yeah. And I almost feel like it was kind of funnier to have it read to you. Yeah. You know, because there were times where we like actually laughed. And I think having someone to listen to it with you and have someone tell you the story, you might laugh out loud more than you would when you're just reading it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's kind of a lot of misadventures and funny, funny moments in the book. So that was great to like listen to that and sit through it with you. Mm-hmm. Should we summarize the the story a little bit? Sure. So the <laughs> <laughs> the summary of this particular movie. I'll, that, I'll summarize I'm, it. <laughs> pu- well, I'm pulling it up on my phone. A chronicle of one woman's 1100 mile solo hike undertaken as a way to recover from a recent personal tragedy. Oh, perfect. Yeah, that's nice and short and sweet. Yeah, that's a perfect description. So, yeah, it's about this woman, Cheryl, who decides to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, which is a trail that runs all the way from Mexico to like into Canada along um, the Pacific um, area. And it goes through, you know, California and uh, Oregon and et cetera. And those are the parts that Cheryl went through. She hiked through California and into Oregon Mm -hmm. and um this happened in like the 90s. So obviously sometimes it's it was kind of a while ago and she more recently published it. Yeah, it was a lot earlier than I, I thought it was until I, I forget. She probably mentions it in the book. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Early 90s, I want to say earlier, mid 90s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this was very much a, a spontaneous trip for her. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's re- really interesting. And you don't she doesn't know it either. Until she's really into it. Yeah. That she's like, wow, shit, I have not prepared at all. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, in theory, it's just walking. But of course, it's much more than that because you're carrying this huge pack with all your supplies. And it's not just walking along the street. You know, it's like hiking mountains and deserts and having to be out alone and the first few days of the trail are pretty hard on Cheryl yeah and this is one of my favorite aspects of the book because she is 25 she's 26 26 when Mm -hmm. when uh you know she's hiking the PCT our age like right in that Mm -hmm. area and 
she represents it perfectly. Yeah. She wants to do this big adventurous thing. And then she finds out like, shit, I haven't done anything right for it. (laughs) And she messes up a lot. And, you know, she kind of doesn't take it as seriously as she should in ways when before she gets out there. Mm -hmm. But then she really perseveres through it. So it's really inspiring in that way, because I think we both could see ourselves. And I think a lot of people our age could see or could see themselves in Cheryl. Yeah, in her shoes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just seeing her overcome these trials is inspiring. It is really inspiring. And there's a part in the book where she talks about how many times she decided to do it. Like, there was the initial decision where she was like, I might do this. She's like, oh, haha, I should do this thing. Yeah, and she buys the the guidebook for it. And then she kind of starts planning it. And she's like, okay, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm I'm really going to do it. And then she, you know, gets to the point she starts hiking and she's actually doing it. And then she has to decide to kind of keep doing it every day. And she just talks about how different it is from like what she thought it would be, but also even better than what she thought. So, yeah, it is really inspiring because she really does persevere through a lot of craziness and one of the <laughs> craziest things is her pack oh my god if this wasn't a true story i would say this was a heavy-handed metaphor for, <laughs> for all like, her trauma for all her trauma carrying. that she's carrying but it is absolutely true yeah and it's probably the biggest sign of her uh, unpreparedness mm-hmm. she doesn't actually pack her bag until she's like in the hotel room the day before yeah and it's not until she gets everything in the bag that she's like holy shit I can't even lift this and there's this great scene in the movie um, where it's just like a kind of wordless scene and it plays the same way in the book where she gets everything packed up in her pack and then she tries to lift it and she can't lift it (laughs) so she like gets on the ground and she's trying to like put it over her shoulder and strap it on and then to try to like get up with it on she has to like power lift it like into a standing position there's one point where she's like laying flat on the ground and the pack is like on her back and then she's (laughs) trying to get up and it's like crushing her down (laughs) it's so funny though because everyone she runs into is just like jesus christ that's a huge backpack and she's not like a super in shape person per se and Mm -hmm. you know is a little smaller and it's funny because as she runs into more hikers you know through this experience like one guy early on is telling her you know oh he's pontificating about the um uh concepts of like weight and like yeah. how, you know whether an internal frame or external frame backpack and like these really minute details about saving weight and shit and she's mm-hmm. like I didn't even think about that I didn't think about the weight of my backpack yeah and you know it's not like she didn't prepare at all because she does bring stuff that she thinks that she'll need it's just she actually over prepares she does of. she over prepares but also when you're hiking alone you have to bring a lot more equipment than when you're just mm-hmm. hiking by yourself and you know she has like her tent and she has to bring extra water because for the first part of the trail she's hiking through the Mojave Desert so she has to bring water with her because there aren't enough water water sources along the way which is crazy and then she has her stove and her food and you know everything she else. brings a camera and like a tripod yeah. I thought that was crazy <laughs> that was a little crazy yeah and so the first few days she kind of thinks that she's gonna average like I don't know 15 ish miles a day but she ends up only going like six or seven miles um, for the first few days and it's just really exhausting physically not just because she's carrying the pack but just because she's not used to that being in the desert and having to hike over this terrain. 
Um, and at one point she's like literally ready to give up. Like it's so hot and there's like not enough water or shade and she's like dying. And that's when she meets her first uh, fellow PCT hiker. Yeah, this is where she runs into Greg, who it's funny in the movie, she happens upon him when he's like naked in the river, yeah. like bathing and they <laughs> awkwardly like see each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she has to go down. Uh, but Greg is like um, an experienced hiker. Yeah. And he's the one who talks about backpacks and weight and really like talks about going to conferences about hiking. And, this and going is, on like short term hikes to train mm-hmm, for the PCT. Yeah. And this is when it's really settling in on her. Like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't thinking this through completely. But Greg is really great because he's very um, motivational and yeah, kind to and her. He's encouraging. Yes, he's just yeah. like, you know. You're you should be proud of yourself for going this far. And he kind of says, like, you know, it's hard at the beginning to get like those like those days where you cover a lot of miles. Like at first that you have to really get adjusted to not even not just the terrain, but like the climate and everything. And he's just he kind of inspires her to keep going. And he's basically like, I'm going to hike on ahead and I'm going to stop at Kennedy Meadows, which is a, a couple days away. And then why don't we meet up and form a plan for the rest of our hike? Because he tells her about um, some of the mountains ahead have a lot of snow for that year. They're socked in, as he puts it. And (laughs) she has no idea what that means. But it's like this term people keep throwing around to her. Everything's socked in. Mm -hmm. This was actually a thing that I didn't think the movie conveyed as well as it could have was her unpreparedness. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's a scene where Greg is talking about stuff and she clearly is a little like, oh, yeah, totally. You know, not Mm -hmm. fully understanding him. Um, and you know, she, uh, gets the wrong gas for her stove. Yes. There's mm-hmm. a little mishap with that, but I guess it, it's for me, it's really important to establish that early on because she yeah. grows so much, so much through this story mm-hmm. and where she starts is kind of like so crazy. Yeah. And in a, such a relatable way though, that I felt like it kind of did a little bit of a disservice to the story to not fully establish where she started. Yeah, there's like a scene of her trying to put the tent together and get the stove working where it's like, oh, she doesn't know how to do stuff. But um, in the book, she's just so exhausted at the end of the day. She talks about like not even really eating much the first few days because she doesn't even have the energy. And um, yeah, and just kind of like, her body just being like, no, what are you doing to me? <laughs> you haven't exercised in months. <laughs> um, so on a less positive, fun Ooh, note. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why Cheryl ends up hiking the trail. And like we said earlier about the, kind of like the analogy of monster, like this heavy pack of baggage that she's carrying around. And the biggest baggage for her is the death of her mother. So when she is 22, which is four years before she hikes the trail, her mother dies very suddenly of uh, lung cancer. Yeah. So it was this really like grueling experience for her, kind of having to take care of her. And, um, you know, it was it, it. the book takes kind of a large section to kind of cover all of it. Yeah. And this was when we were in the car driving to your parents. Yeah. This was like that entire section. And it was very uh kind of difficult to to not get difficult to get through but just very emotional it's really hard to listen to and I think to read especially it's just it's so it feels so raw 
And it's just such a very honest portrayal of grief. One of the best that I've seen in a book or a a memoir. Um, I really like it. She talks a lot about how she was very close with her mom and her and her siblings shared a very, very close relationship with their mother and how she was kind of like the most important person in Cheryl's life. And then, you know, her mother's only 45 years old when she finds out that she has cancer. And that's really, really young. And Cheryl's only 22, which seems like it's an adult. But when you think about when you were 22, it's like, I, can, I can't imagine oh, that. Oh, no. And what's really brutal about it, too, is like they find out that she has cancer. And then I think something like 45 days later, she dies. Yeah, the doctor says, like, she probably has a year left, which is already crazy short, but then she just completely deteriorates. Yeah, and there's no, like, treatment options, you know, they they take her to chemo a couple times, but it's just so aggressive, you know, in within, you know, two months, she's gone. And what's really rough about this, too, is that Cheryl kind of has to go through this alone. So her mom is married um, to Eddie, Cheryl's stepfather. And he's around, but then uh, Cheryl's siblings kind of clear out when they find out their mother is about to die. <laughs> yeah, you know, her sister's like, I just, I can't do it. Like, I can't see my mom like this. And yeah. her brother disappears. And it's one of the most frustrating things. Yeah. One of the most frustrating parts to sit through because, I mean, I, I'm sure that's a much more common reaction, reaction and thing mm-hmm. to do. And I guess in extreme cases like that, it's tough to say how you would respond. But yeah, and it's you can't really judge the way that people grieve, you no. know. But at the same time, for Cheryl, it's so rough because they, they left her. Her siblings abandon her, and so she's the one who like drops out of college because she just goes to take care of her mother during this time. You know, ferrying her back and forth to the hospital, and then once her mother is stuck in the hospital and is on her downward spiral. She's the one that's there every day with her stepfather, with her mom. And it's really sad, too, because on her mom's last day, she tracks down her brother, who has just disappeared. Yeah. And she's like, I'm going to bring, you know, I'm going to bring him and you'll get to see him and everything. But by the time she brings him back, her mom has already died. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very... um it was so emotional in the in the book and the movie too, but the book really kind of struck a chord because she was just dumbfounded, like she didn't even consider that her mom could have passed away while she was gone. Yeah. Uh, and the nurse is kind of like, oh, we put ice on her eyes because she's going to donate her corneas. Yeah. And Cheryl's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, like what, ha- what? I just what's- got back. What's going on? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it's a very impactful. It's a good. It's a really good section of the book. Yeah. But it made me glad we were listening to it because I feel like if I was actually just reading it normally, yeah. I'd be very inclined to put it down frequently. Because it's so intense. Yeah. Yeah. So it really helped it being an audiobook. It just kind of, you know, and I've experienced that with other audiobooks that I'm like, oh, I'm really glad I'm listening to this where it's just going to kind of keep feeding me the story. Yeah. And kind of get through it, you mm-hmm. know. And the movie is different because um, it doesn't talk about her mom's death until like halfway through the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The way they tie it into other events Mm -hmm. that I'll talk about in a bit. I I really, I like where it was placed in a way. Yeah. But it also kind of left you a little ambiguous about who Cheryl was and why she was doing this. Yeah. Uh, Maybe for a little bit too long, they 
delayed telling you this much about her life. Yeah, because you kept having flashbacks to times in Cheryl's childhood and times with Cheryl's mom. And if you're watching this without the context of the book, you don't have any idea where where this is going. You know, you're like, okay, like family memories. All right. Her mom's featured. It's probably something sad coming up. I don't know. And then like (laughs) it takes a while to get you to like, oh, she's dying. Okay, this is really sad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is the sad part. Oh, and I don't think we mentioned this, but uh, Reese Witherspoon actually plays Cheryl Strayed in the movie. And Laura Dern plays her mother mm-hmm. in this movie, which is really funny. Um, I don't know if any anyone's listened to our Big Little Lies episode, but Big Little Lies also stars Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern and is directed by the same director as this movie. Yeah, you can definitely tell um, this director kind of has a, a specific visual style that yeah. I think. Uh, he also did Dallas Buyers Club, mm-hmm. uh, a movie called Demolition with Jake Gyllenhaal, and another movie that I am not thinking of right at the moment. I feel like one scene in particular in the movie um, when Cheryl's mom is kind of dancing to a song. Yeah. Like really reminded me of Big Little Lies because mm-hmm. there's a couple other scenes. There's a couple scenes in Big Little Lies where they like dance to music and stuff. And the, with the lighting, I don't know. I was just like well, instantly I was like Big Little Lies. It's really interesting because this director, uh, he, he I think he's become known kind of for using like natural lighting mm. whenever he can. And this movie was mostly shot in natural lighting. Oh, that's interesting. You can kind of tell. And, it's, and I think it's really interesting because he first did this on Dallas Buyers Club, mm-hmm. which he did for... Um, budget reasons that movie had hardly any budget at all and so to save time so they wouldn't have to keep resetting up lights between different shots he's like let's just use natural lighting wow and it's kind of become his signature look a little bit his movies all kind of have this naturalistic yeah the lighting always kind of strikes me in his stuff which i i really like i like the look of it and i think it it works well for this movie yeah you know especially for the outdoor scenes and Mm -hmm. then when they are inside it's very uh relatable i guess it feels kind of dimly lit like yeah. you know you're in your, someone's kitchen or house or something exactly so uh, his visual style really helps a lot in this movie i think mm-hmm. uh let's get back to the trail the trail <laughs> so there's a lot of uh craziness that happens on the trail yeah uh, at one point <laughs> she is walking down the trail and she sees this big animal that she can't even identify at first. Yeah. But all she she's just like, moose. Like she just <laughs> screams it at the animal. Yeah. And has to like hide in the brush away from it. Mm-hmm. And she gets attacked and she comes across like multiple rattlesnakes. Oh, yeah. And almost mm-hmm. steps on them. So she's frequently kind of running into she hears coyotes all the time. You know? Oh, yeah. There's one part where she sees a black bear, but it's like a, a light brown bear. And she's like the black bear. That was not black, but it was a black bear. She doesn't want to think about it being a grizzly. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of separating herself from that. And um, yeah. And around this part. So actually at the right at the beginning of both the book and the movie, we have this crazy scene with Cheryl's boots and a little uh, a little background to that. Um, Cheryl's boots have just been destroying her feet. Awful. Like is. So her feet are just blistered and gross and bleeding and her toenails are just popping off. One by one, like almost all of them off. And if you (laughs) just imagining it was bad. Yeah. And then when they show it in the movie, it is just the worst. It's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) But then people are telling her they're like, 
yeah, you shouldn't, your toenails shouldn't be falling off. Like, your boots are probably too small. Mm-hmm. So she, like, tries to get, she calls REI, which is where she got her boots, and they agree to send her new ones, but she has to, like, they're sending it to the next stop, so she has to kind of walk her way to that area. And somewhere in the middle of this, she's sitting down and takes her boots off for a rest <laughs> and then accidentally knocks one, like, a, over a cliff into, like, the brush below (laughs) i love it in the movie she is obviously dumbfounded like she was in the book too yeah but then she would i I forget exactly what she screams but she's just like you fucking bitch and she throws the other boot out after it in anger just because she was so furious yeah in the book it's a little more like contemplative she's like well i guess i don't need the other boot and just kind of tosses it in after but yeah and she kind of is like happy to toss it even though she knows she needs it but she's kind of like fuck you because like you've done this to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah although for me personally it was a not misleading but this is like the first thing this is where the book starts yeah and she drops her boot and in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to have to walk through the wilderness like in socks. Yeah. And not that it isn't bad, but yeah. she does have like a pair of sandals yeah. that she's able to like tape Duct to tape. her feet and yeah. secure to her feet a little bit. So it's not like the worst. It's mm-hmm. not quite as bad as you were expecting. But yeah, she's not walking barefoot across a mountain. <laughs> yes. But this was actually um, so the movie starts with this point. Yeah. And then, you know, cuts back to the beginning. It goes you know, keeps progressing. And when it gets back to this point and it's being intercut with scenes of her mom dying, mm-hmm. the moment her mom dies is when she's back throwing the boot again. Oh yeah. And, and I, screaming and screaming. And mm-hmm. I really liked how they were able to line up that moment back with the boot throwing. Yeah. So even though I wish they bringing had, it back, like now you have more background about her mother and yes. like that trauma. So even though I kind of wish they had brought up the mother's death like sooner yeah. in the movie, I also felt like it was a really good payoff mm-hmm. when they kind of aligned it with that moment. That's true. Yeah. So the whole movie's kind of choppy, though. It is. In that way. It jumps around. The flashbacks are kind of weird. Like some of them, it'll just be images that are like almost like a collage of images. Yeah. Kind kind of of assaulting you. Kind of of foreshadowing a bit. Yeah. Although to me, it was a little bit. I kind of wish some of these sections were chunked together a little bit more. Yeah, me too. Like they were in the book because it becomes so intermixed Mm -hmm. and so kind of frequently jumping back and forth that you don't really get much of a I guess a linear uh, storyline in your head yeah because it's ev- hard to tell when things happened mm-hmm. in her life because even after the bomb dies yeah shortly after there's another scene back when she was alive yeah which kind of takes away from the impact a little bit mm-hmm. you know I almost wish in her uh, flashbacks when she died she kind of stopped appearing Yeah, to kind of let that sink in a little bit but because mm-hmm. the flashbacks are so frequent and like unsorted yeah, you know it kind of is maybe a little uh, it's a little too much yeah I, I did think it was really interesting though finding out about the what it's like to hike the Pacific Crest Trail though oh yeah because it's so much different than I think a lot of people would imagine mm-hmm. you'd assume it was just like oh you're in the wilderness for like hundreds of days, like just, yeah, you know, alone. alone, seeing no one. But she's constantly stopping at these camps where she's mailed herself stuff. Yeah. And she meets many hikers and they kind of form these bonds. Mm-hmm. And then at different points, like if she to fix her stove or to get food, she'll like 
take a detour into a town yeah. and then hitchhike mm-hmm. back to the trail. And so mm-hmm. she's constantly meeting different people and hitchhiking and it, it's it's just, um, I guess, a different experience than what you'd assume. Yeah, you're not just like alone in the wilderness or like in the desert, like you <laughs> yeah. were saying, for like many days. And you don't like go crazy and you <laughs> make friends with the lizards or anything. Yeah, but it's, it is really cool to kind of get a feel for what that would be like. And I really like the parts where she is meeting all the fellow hikers because they have this they have this bond that's yeah. really cool and this like camaraderie together where they're instantly like they they feel like family to each other because like they're all in the same kind of position and mm-hmm. they understand each other and they're very like supportive and encouraging of each other which is really cool. Yeah. Like Greg kind of helps her stay on the trail and then she meets a uh, Doug and Tom who kind of become like brother figures to her. Mhm. And there there's actually these ledgers at, yeah. at points in the trail where you can like write down you your know, name your and, name and mm-hmm. like the date and whatever and so people will suddenly pop up and be like Cheryl and she's like who, who, who the hell is this and, <laughs> and it's funny because uh, being one of the few women who's actually hiking the PCT yeah. uh, she's quickly identified by a lot of people they're like you must be Cheryl you know you're the only woman <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so that's really cool and beyond the, the hikers Cheryl meets so many people along the trail who are very kind and generous and who help her along the way and I feel like at every point during the trail, it's like, and then I met this person who is nice. And just to like list a few, like there's someone who lets her go back to their cabin and shower and gives gives her food. And then, you know, she hitchhikes with some people who give her a ride. And then um, there's someone who lets her do laundry when she stays at a motel for a night. And then someone gives her a Bob Marley t-shirt and like lets her kind of eat dinner with them when they're fishing. So like everyone she meets is just sort of like, wow, that's really cool that you're hiking the trail. How can we help you? Yeah. It's such a, it really kind of restores your faith in humanity a little bit. Yeah. Cause, and, and she's concerned about it too, but being a woman alone in the wilderness and just running into total strangers, many, yeah. many of them are men or groups of men. I think you feel for her yeah, and she feels like, oh this like God. real like kind of tenseness. Uh, there's a great scene early on. It's one of the first guys she meets when she needs to go into a town. She finds him and he's like plowing a field or working a field. And he tells her, I'm almost done. If you want to wait in my truck, I can give you a ride into town. Mm-hmm. And she's like, OK. So she's sitting in his truck waiting and she's kind of snooping around in his truck while he's not there. And she finds a gun under the seat. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm just going to put that back. Like kind of a little, you know, a little tense. Mm-hmm. And then the guy comes and he's kind of weird at first. Yeah. He asks what kind of woman she is and then decides to call her Jane, like Tarzan's Jane. Because yeah. she's, I guess, like a wild, wild woman. woman. Um, and then... He gives her some whiskey from a flask. She's like, okay. And he's like, there's also something else I like to do when I want to unwind from a long day. And he reaches under the seat. And she's like, oh, my God. And she's like, if I have to run, I have to leave my backpack. But, like, I will. And he pulls up a bag of red licorice. <laughs> and he's like, he's like eh? Here's some Twizzlers. You want, want one? <laughs> and she's just like. And then he's like, don't tell my wife. He's like, you'll meet her in a few minutes. Like, but, and he turns out to be this nice guy. Oh, they yeah. They 
feed her, you know, she stays there the night. It's really sweet. But it's it's really funny that juxtaposition, like at first kind of being suspicious of people and then finding only like generosity pretty much at every turn. Yeah, with one exception, which we'll get to. But for the most part, everyone is incredibly nice and giving. There's also this guy who, well, while Cheryl's trying to like hitchhike somewhere, this guy stops and he's like, hi, I write for the Hobo Times. And she's like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? And she's like, I'm not a hobo. I'm hiking, I'm hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. So how long have you been a hobo? And then he just like <laughs> refuses to listen and just talks about, he's like, I don't see very many lady hobos. <laughs> and she's so annoyed because she's, she's trying to hitchhike. Yeah. And suddenly this, and she usually is able to hitchhike pretty easily, you know, yeah. as, as a woman. I think a lot of people aren't as threatened. as threatened. But with this guy with her, she's like, no one's picking me up. Like, this guy is just won't leave. <laughs> it's a really funny scene. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> He's like, you'll be featured in the fall issue of the Hobo Times. She's like, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be. <laughs> so um, another trauma with Cheryl is that while her mother is dying she kind of experiences this trauma in her relationships as well when she's 19 which is very young (laughs) she marries this guy Paul who she met in college and she talks about how they were like so wildly in love that they had to do something crazy and the craziest thing they could do was to like get married so they did it I'm like (laughs) Is that really the craziest thing? <laughs> I think there are crazier things you could have done. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but it is, they have an interesting relationship in that way. And it's kind of interesting about Cheryl's whole background because she kind of is uh, constantly changing like where she lives. And yeah. she she went with Paul to like, didn't they live in Europe somewhere? Yeah, briefly? they went to Ireland And then they went to they were in England and then they came back and then they were in New York and kind of like road tripped a lot. And I think she went to Portland with him for a while. And yeah, it's crazy because even now on the on the Pacific Crest Trail, she like doesn't have a home. She's like, I'll probably settle down when I get to Portland. But Mm -hmm. right now I like she just kind of is aloof all the time. And she's always been that way. Yeah. And. She comes comes from kind of a lower class background, like, you know, was always kind of struggled. Her family always kind of struggled with money. And when she and Paul were young, they didn't have a lot of money either. And so kind of did like, you know, waitressing, those types of jobs to kind of like break even and everything. And so she and Paul marry when they're really young and then they're only married for three years, kind of, you know, in Europe and kind of living wherever they want to, living their life. Um before Cheryl's mom dies and Cheryl talks about how after her mom dies just like nothing is the same in her and also in her relationship with Paul like even though he loves her and she loves him nothing he can do can change how broken she is inside and so that kind of leads to the destruction of her marriage yeah something's broken and she so she starts um seeing other men and cheating on Paul and it gets it gets very out of hand, she, you know, multiple men and like um, just not being honest with him. And eventually she just has to like confess to him like she can't take it anymore. Yeah. And they have a very complicated relationship even after they kind yeah. of separate where they're still in love and they love each other, but they can't be together. It's kind of a little overdramatic. It, in I the was going to say that, actually. I'm yeah. glad you brought that up, because as we're reading it in the book around like. It's kind of sprinkled throughout the book. She'll bring it up again, stuff with Paul. 
at some point I was just like, okay, we get it. Like you liked him. You guys were still in love and you didn't want to get divorced, but you had to. And, and you're not the same. And, and she like, was like, I still love him and I'll always be married to you in my heart. And I'm like, no, you won't. <laughs> yeah. What, what does that mean? You know, and when they go to the mailbox together to mail their divorce papers yeah. and they cry and like make out and like they get a tat- they get tattoos together to, yeah. to commemorate their divorce. It's very odd. Uh, it is overdramatic. I'm kind of like. You have to decide one way or the other. And I understand that it takes a lot to decide to end a marriage, you know. Um, But after you decide that, like, you have to go with that decision, you know. And Cheryl is obviously still struggling with that and kind of wants to keep that connection with Paul because he was, you know, more than just her husband. He was her best friend. But at the same time, like, there are consequences for your actions. And she kind of didn't want to be with anyone anymore at this point in her life. She was like, I just can't. So yeah, it's hard to say in the con. This is interesting in the context of a uh, a nonfiction. Yeah, you know, where do you kind of nitpick? I'm not like I'm not calling <laughs> yeah, you're her. Like, are you too dramatic? <laughs> yeah, I'm not calling, as a person. I'm not calling her a liar or that she didn't experience this or that this wasn't their relationship. But I guess just in the context of reading it, it's maybe. It maybe seems hammed up or yeah, maybe or we maybe just she just focused on it too much. Yeah. Or maybe we just don't need to hear it, you know, yeah. or hear about about it as much. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. The movie, though, is strange in this way because it addresses Paul yeah. and their marriage and their marriage falling apart. But that story never intersects with the one of her mother and her mom yeah, dying. You don't really see Paul in the scenes with her mom. No. So you're like, when is this happening? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if they were trying to. I, I don't I don't know if they were saying that because they do they ever say her age in the movie? I'm not sure. I don't know if they were trying to portray her as maybe being older and that maybe she didn't get with Paul until after yeah, her mom died. Maybe. I'm not entirely sure. It was confusing for me because I was like, there are scenes with Cheryl as like a student in college and it seems like she's still living with her mother because there's yeah. scenes of her in her mother's house and they're hanging out. But at this point in the book, she is already married to Paul and they're living together separately. So, yeah, it is confusing. And Paul's not in any of those scenes. And you don't really see the early stages of her and Paul either. It's just them being like really terrible together because Cheryl is cheating on him and like all this stuff is happening. So you don't even really get like an introduction to Paul. It's just sort of like, oh, and we're divorced. (laughs) Yeah. And then I had a husband at one point, but we're divorced now. And it's like, when did you have a husband? Like we've seen most of your life at this point, but I don't know where the husband fits into it. Yeah. Yeah, and around this time, too, Cheryl decides to try heroin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She really drives off a cliff in a way. Yeah, and I think it does illustrate how destroyed she was by her grief and how she wasn't dealing with it and how she was kind of trying to, like, throw herself off a cliff. (laughs) Yeah, A little bit. Well, and, and, you know, her... Uh, she wasn't her family kind of fell apart yes. after this point in her life. Mm-hmm. And she's always been, I think, a little free spirited, uh, but but without anything grounding her, maybe she kind of fell into this, uh, you know, pattern of drug abuse and like being with too many like different guys. Yeah, it's really sad because she talks about how 
she really wanted to be there for her siblings and her family after her mom died and to try to like keep their family going because her mother had kind of made their family so connected and kind of made their home so special. But she just says like, no matter what she did, her siblings kind of just drifted off. And then her stepdad who she was really close with at one point ends up getting remarried and kind of like, falls off the face of the earth as well. Yeah. So she does feel like abandoned. And then at the same time, she's like destroying the relationship with the person that she's closest with, which is Paul. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she's just like in a really bad place. Yeah. And she was even still like not heavily using, but like had used heroin real shortly before she was even on the, uh, the PCT. So Mm -hmm. it's clearly like a big factor in her life. I want to go back to the sex real quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, because the movie uh, definitely portrays this. Yeah. And I don't know if it portrays it in the most um, realistic way. I don't know if they were just trying to like really emphasize how like fucked up her life was. Yeah. It, it was a little too heavy handed for me. Yeah. Because I mean, I feel like all you have to show is her shooting heroin to show that her <laughs> life is in a bad place. But they kind of they portray the sex very like almost a little gratuitously. Yeah. It's very like sexualized. And then there's this particular scene where she is having sex. It seems like with two men, one after the other in this back alley after she like ends her shift at a, a as a waitress. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, and the author has come out and said like, yeah, that experience never happened. She's like, I was promiscuous, you know, in my, you know, at this point in my life, but that never particularly happened. Yeah. Uh, but to me, it, she kind of becomes a little too much of like a caricature. Yeah. I think in the movie, I think that's a good you point. know, you see her when she's, you know, in the, in the heroin abuse and, you know, seeing all these guys and she's kind of got dark circles under her eye and she's kind of like, fuck this. Yeah. Like, she sees a psychologist at one point and she's like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm too good for this. Like, I don't need help. I mean, I'm not saying that like the the fact I don't know the true story is it's dark and it is that way to an extent but I feel like they tried to kind of like uh, emphasize it a little yeah too much they tried in the to movie. ham it up a little bit too much yeah like I think you could have done that in a little bit more of a realistic uh, way not that I yeah. know not that I know what realistically it's like to be a heroin addict and and I think they could have balanced that a little more with her feeling like abandoned by her family and then also like maybe focusing more on her issues with Paul Um, instead in the movie was mainly just about like sex and heroin where in the movie yeah yeah, and in in the book it was about a lot of different things (laughs) yes yeah it all kind of like fit together a lot the movie I know I talked about this already but it's it's just kind of like all these pieces are so dispersed throughout the movie yeah and it's interesting because the movie is more about her um, real life tragedies mm-hmm. uh, of her mother dying of her heroin abuse and seeing these guys and everything. And it's kind of the her hiking the trail is kind of more of just like a framework. Yeah. That this is all kind of like fixed around, mm-hmm. you know, just her hiking and having these flashbacks and thoughts. And yeah. it kind of keeps going back to the hiking. But I feel like so much of her arc in the book of where she started hiking and where she ended. Yeah, that was more of a payoff for you reading it. Yeah, and in the book she even acknowledges, 
like, oh, I thought hiking this trail would be this really serene, like tranquil, spiritual, exper- this spiritual thing for me. Yeah. Um, but really, it's just really gritty and bloody and like just so exhausting and terrible in mm-hmm. a way. And so she kind of separates herself from that fantastical view of it. Yeah. And I feel like the movie kind of goes back to that. In the opposite that a, direction. Yeah. Because a lot of the times we see her on the trail as her having these moments. And not that they didn't happen in the book. Uh, you know, she has some breakdowns. She has some yeah. moments thinking about her mom and these reflections. Uh, but it's so... Uh, packed in with like the actual routine yeah the monotony the monotony of Mm -hmm. actually hiking that I feel it was kind of um a problem with the movie that it kind of goes back to what she said it wasn't in the book yeah it's almost like this idealistic view of the trail like you go on this trail and you're gonna have like this spiritual awakening and it's gonna get your life like all sorted out and even though Cheryl in, in the book does kind of have that experience it does help her she talks about how she thought she would have all this time to think about like the tragedies and her like pain, but really like she actually thought about it less because her mind was so consumed by like, I need to eat or I'm really hot and I can't move and my feet. And like, she literally couldn't think about that stuff anymore. And it almost was kind of positive for her because she just like, wasn't thinking about it as much anymore and was kind of letting it go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that was just kind of another difference between the book and the movie that I thought was, was interesting. Mm Mm-hmm its portrayal of what hiking, what she thought it would be and what it actually was. Mm -hmm. So at this point in the trail, um, Cheryl actually has to bypass a certain range of the trail because of the snow. Talked about it being socked in. Um, (laughs) But yeah, she and Greg kind of plan to skip over this area. It's the Sierras. And Cheryl really wanted to hike this part because it's supposed to be really beautiful but um she realizes that she's not prepared to handle the snow and even greg who's a very experienced hiker is like yeah it's too dangerous for me to go so she's like okay like great (laughs) and they so she decides to hike farther in oregon instead to kind of make up for that part that she skipped and then around this time um, in the story, she ends up in Ashland, Oregon, which was going to be the end of her trail, but ends up being only part way through. Yeah. And so she ends up there right around the time uh, Jerry Garcia died. Yeah. And she goes to a concert and she meets this guy, yeah. this handsome, hunky guy named Jonathan, mm-hmm. who works like the lights, I think, at this show. Yeah. And she agrees to uh, go on a date with him after mm-hmm. the show uh, to his home slash tent that's kind of this is one of those deals where she was so trusting yeah she's like like, sure take me to like the middle of nowhere where you have your tent set up (laughs) your house tent thing uh so they drive out there and it's really funny because she's like so self-conscious kind of she has like obviously only like she's missing four toenails at this point she's these really like gross patchy spots on her from where the backpack was rubbing yeah but she you know kind of is into this guy so she's willing to see where it goes and after they are kind of like what are we gonna do they start uh, having sexy time (laughs) and this was one of my favorite parts because she had a condom with her yeah uh she had she had a condom packed with her and she had referenced it before Mm -hmm. on this trip And it dawns on her at this point that she doesn't have it. And she's like, I can't believe that this condom I've carried with me through like all of the California wilderness and a lot of Oregon, like the one true ring through to the Mount Doom, 
I carried this one condom and I have forgotten it the night I'm going to have sex. <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't have a condom either, so they don't end up having sex that night. But then the next day they go to the beach together and like buy some food for a picnic and Jonathan buys some condoms and then they have sex on the beach. <laughs> yes. So it's a good time. Yeah. Jonathan was kind of funny in a way because... He was kind of, I don't want to say shallow. She describes him as shallow. Oh, does she say? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he is, but he like just doesn't ask her much about herself or anything. Like he just. They just talk about music. Yeah. And then they have sex. And then they have sex. It's, which, just, it's clearly just like the, they're into each other physically and they're kind of enjoying their time together, but he doesn't really try to make it more than that. <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of funny to me. But. Yeah. So after she has this. Uh, encounter she continues on her uh, on her trail right yeah she had a little vacation in Ashland Oregon and then she's back to the trail (laughs) it's so funny because you know she part of this trip method is uh, she packs boxes full of food and money Mm -hmm. and mails them or she has her friend while she's hiking mail them to certain spots where she can pick them up along the trail yeah and so it's like food but then also like 20 bucks in each one Mm -hmm. so she's like so reliant on these yeah like it's like life or death like she gets there with zero food pretty much and money and is like I need this well and she talks too about how she completely underestimated how much money she would need because she often ends up needing to like hitchhike places or um, she'll come off the trail to get her box and you know she needs she's super hungry and and she's also just not good with money in no general. she's not she's like oh I need to save my money she's like but cheeseburgers also and then she ends up like five different times, she ends up with like under a dollar left of her money. She's yeah. like, I had 60 cents. I had two pennies. I had 25 cents left. And I was like, Cheryl, <laughs> stop. Get your shit together. At one point, she like buys a cheeseburger and fries and literally only has two cents. Two pennies. And so she leaves the uh, the waiter a tip of stamps because she's like, I'm sorry. It's I all feel I so have. Bad. <laughs> but this was just another interesting factor and in like how reliant she is on um, food and money and all these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a part two um, later on in the trail where she is walking on the trail and she's supposed to come upon this like uh, water tank or something that's along the trail. And it's really hot at this point. She's not in the desert anymore, but it's still like this really hot and dry stretch. And so she's like, drinking her water and rationing it. And she's like, okay, the, the tank is close. Like, I'll just drink my water until then, and then I'll be fine. She sees the tank, drinks the last of her water. She gets to the tank, and the tank is empty. Yeah, she says, like, she saw a note on the tank, and she knew what it said before she even read it, and it was just like, tank's empty. <laughs> and you know this is going to happen as you're reading it. Oh, like, I know. as you're reading it, and she's like, only a little bit more to the tank. I'll just drink the rest of my water. And like, you're like, no. oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so she is like really struggling and she finally finds this like small pond of water. But um, in her guidebook, it, it had been listed that it might not be like clean. So she has to filter the water and then she puts iodine tablets in it, which you have to wait like 30 minutes before you can drink it. Um, and you can still even get sick from drinking it, yeah. but the iodine is supposed to help. And so she, when she finally drinks the water, she has to wait all this time. She's just like, <laughs> oh my God, I almost died. Like, I'm never going to be this careless with water again. Yeah. It's another one of those relatable moments, though, because I think at that point in the book, she's like, why am I such a fuck up? Like, why do I keep making these stupid and mistakes? And to be honest, it's like she thought that there would be water. And sure. Everyone said that there would be. And 
it's, some, it's just something that can happen to you in the yeah, wilderness. I don't think you blame her as the reader, but you no. totally get why she feels that way. Yeah. Which I, I really enjoyed. Uh, there's another incident that happens. Yeah. And the movie kind of combines it with this scene yeah. of when she's getting water and putting the iodine tablets in. She runs into two hunters. Yep. Um, two kind of creepy dudes who mm-hmm. ha- are like out bow hunting. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, do you have water? We didn't bring water. We only brought beer and Pepsi. And she's like, um, yeah, sure. In the book. So she, uh, starts uh, filtering water for them through this little pump that she has that, you know, pumps into the water bottle bottle filtered. And she tells the guy, like, here, just keep pumping this and, like, you know, here's how to use it. And when she's looking away or, like, when she doesn't, he's like, oh, it's not working. And he had it, like, stuck in the mud. Yeah. And had, like, pumped mud into it. And she's like, you ruined it. Like, you actually, like, just destroyed it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, sorry. Like, she's like, okay, we can put iodine tablets in the water. And so she... We just have to wait 30 minutes. We just have to wait. And as they're waiting, these guys start getting real weird. Like, oh, you out here all by yourself. Like, I'd never let my girlfriend do that. Yeah. And being like, you have a she has a nice figure. Like not like talking about her to each other while she can like hear them. And they're like, she has a nice figure. Like looks good under those like hiking clothes. She's just like, like every warning signal is like going off in her head. Yeah. And then she's kind of like, okay, well, you know, I think I'm going to get going. Like I still want to hike a little bit longer, even though she was going to like camp there. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, us too. Mm -hmm. And so they get up and she kind of lets them go ahead as if she's like right behind them. And then she just like, like I'm not following Mm -hmm. and gets her tent set up and kind of like starts putting stuff together. And then all of a sudden the one guy has come back and he's like, why are you still here? Were you trying to trick us? And she's like, no, I just I just changed my mind. And it's so creepy. And it's so like, you know that she's in danger. Like, Because she just changed her clothes. Mm-hmm. And I think she realizes like he, he was, was he was watching her when she did that. Yeah. And he is just and he's like kind of approaching her and he's like, you got a nice body under those clothes. He's like, I like your pants the way they like hug your hips. Yeah. And she's like, please don't say that. And he's like, I'm just giving you a compliment. Can't a man give a woman a compliment? And I'm just like screaming. <laughs> I know. It is such a tense scene. And she's actually like, okay, my knife is in my bag. I don't think I can get to it. Yeah. And she's cooking water, but she's like, it's not boiling yet. Mm-hmm. And she looks and see, she sees on his backpack, he has arrows slung at the yeah. top of it. She's like, if I have to, I can grab one of those arrows if he attacks me and jam it in his jugular. Mm-hmm. And then right at this like most intense moment, the second hunter kind of comes back and is like hey where you been like I've been trying to get back to the truck like what are you doing here and so then the other guy kind of like leaves and they leave her and he kind of makes one parting comment like oh yeah here's a woman all alone in the woods he like toasts her he's like to the woman who's alone on her own in the woods and then walks away and she just fucking books it she just takes off packs her stuff up and just runs I I love the book uh described it as like after that happened she like just got back on the trail and she walked and walked and walked until she couldn't walk anymore and then she ran yeah I I loved that description Mm -hmm. it was so and it's so scary because you know that in that situation if that guy hadn't come back up that he probably would have attacked her yeah you know it was like heading in that direction so that and that's like a really 
that's the scariest moment in yeah. this book. Uh, it was so disheartening, though, because <laughs> <laughs> literally Adina had finished it before me and it was probably like two pages away from that part. And I'm like, this book has restored my faith in humanity and specifically men because none of the men <laughs> have been like overly creepy to, to her. And I'm like so happy about that. And Adina's like, what part are you at? <laughs> and I was like, why? <laughs> no reason. So, I mean, I guess yeah, she's still lucky that that only happened the once. Yeah. Considering, but like. Well, it's interesting because like her role as a woman on the trail in some ways is very dangerous. Like in this situation, we're reminded how powerless and dangerous, you know, she, what a position she's in. She doesn't have a weapon. Yeah. You know, she has no one there to help her. Um, but at the same time, her being a woman kind of almost makes people trust her a little more and maybe yeah. more willing to help her and show generosity towards her because she so many people help her on the trail and maybe because they're not used to seeing a woman do something like this, they might feel more inclined to like talk to her and be like, what's going on? And like, is there anything I could help you with? And, and she talks about how it's easier to hitchhike on her own than it is when she's hitchhiking with one of her guy friends because people trust uh, a woman is not going to like stab them on the side of the road, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it has its, its pros and cons. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the three young bucks? Yes, I love the three uh, young bucks. The three young bucks are the best. <laughs> so it, it's a nickname for these three guys in their early 20s who are also hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah. And I, I forget if she ran into them earlier or not. She runs into them like two different times. They yeah. kind of catch up to each other on the trail. But she uh, meets them again at this uh, lodging outpost that, mm-hmm. that she arrives at. And they're super nice and, like, happy to see her. And she talks about just, like, how connected she feels to them immediately. Yeah. Like. That camaraderie. Yeah. She's Mm -hmm. a little bit older than them, but they're really nice guys. And and they're really respectful of her and are, like, impressed that she's doing this. Mm -hmm. And. They're, they're really cool, but it's so funny. She describes like just how like handsome all three of them are. Yeah, and she's like, I kind of had a crush on all of them, but one in particular, I was like, ooh. She's like, I kind of liked Rick the best, but then later, like Richie says something in his New, New Orleans accent, which made me more attracted to him. She was like, oh wait, despite my crush on Rick, like it was so funny, and they're like very. Um, I guess just comfortable around each other. Like at one point they go to a hot springs and it talks about like them just getting naked and getting in the spring together. Yeah. And like just this, she's kind of got this like sexual tension building up between her and and Rick. And Rick. Um, and like they all like sleep on this futon together. It's just like this wacky (laughs) situation of her with these like three attractive younger men. men. (laughs) (laughs) And their name is so funny. The three young bucks. (laughs) Yeah. That's like their trail nickname that they've been given. So it's really great. And it's funny too. Cause, um, so the ranger at this campground sort of like approaches Cheryl and he has just got mouth surgery. Or like tooth <laughs> surgery or something, and he's it's like, "Very weird." Hey, do you want to like come to my cabin and I'll like give you a drink later? And she's like, mm, "This seems a little weird, but can my friends come?" And he's like, "Yeah, okay." And so she brings the three young bucks with her to this ranger's cabin, and he has this surgery, so he keeps having like this towel that he's pulling up to his mouth yeah and he's like oh i'll make you a drink and so he makes her this like fruit cocktail drink yeah and like the the four of them keep passing it between each other and (laughs) it's such a weird transition because 
She's like, oh, that sounds like what we used to call a suicide, the kind of drink. Yeah. And he's like, suicide? I'll tell you about suicide. I had to clean up a suicide crime scene earlier today. Guy shot himself in the face in a porta potty. You can't even imagine all the brains and blood and guts on the wall. And oh man, one time I was cleaning up a murder scene. You want to talk about buckets of blood. And it's so funny because like, it's just the four of them, these hikers, <laughs> like, passing this drink back and forth. And this guy who's, like, maybe drunk, maybe, like, high on pain medicine from his surgery. And he's, like, kind of, he's, like, hitting on her. Yeah. Meanwhile, his mouth is, like, swollen and he's, like... Drooling. Drooling and, like, t- telling her about these suicides and murders while still trying to hit on her. Let me tell you about murder, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know what... He, like, just really wanted to talk about it. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, she kind of just takes advantage of like the warm cabin and like the drinks that he gives to them. And then she's like, okay, well, bye. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) And it's, it's great because, um, you know, she is attracted to the one guy, Rick. Yeah. And, but she doesn't feel like this, you know, she often feels this kind of urge to be with someone and to have this physical connection, um, you know, which is why she sleeps with a lot of guys. You know, she likes that intimacy, like the physical contact. Mm-hmm. But she talks about like at this point in her life and in her trip, she was just content just like being with him. Yeah. And just having the closeness that they did and mm-hmm. not feeling the need to like um, increase that or like make it sexual. Yeah. And she talked about too feeling like she had a hole in her heart and feeling not that desperate anymore. And just like you said, just being more kind of more healthy about that physical and sexual attraction. Yeah, because I mean, you know, people can have as many partners as they want. There's nothing wrong with that. The book just clearly sets it up as being unhealthy for her at this point. That she was doing it out of some like hole or emptiness that she was feeling through her grief. So it's a nice kind of close to that bit of her life that she kind of felt this with, Mm -hmm. with Rick And then, so despite being, hanging out with the three young bucks and a bunch of other hikers on the trail, she really likes to be alone on the trail. Like, she talks about this a lot, how um, she'll be with hikers for a while and they'll hike part of the trail together. And then they'll all kind of separate and kind of go their own way. And how sort of relieved she feels sometimes just to be back on the trail alone and at peace she feels in the wilderness. And I think it's super interesting because you don't really think about women being solitary and on their own that much. Yeah. And how people were really shocked about her being a woman alone on the trail. Well, there's a really good part when she's talking to the guy writing for the Hobo Times when he talks about there not being many women, female hobos. Yeah. And she's like, well, most women can't afford to like go on their own because they have like children they have to take care of or family members they have to take care of. Yeah. And she kind of talks about like that a lot of women end up in these roles that they're kind of like, um, they're kind of stuck in one place yeah, and kind of like tied to too many people to be able to go out and kind of do things, Mm -hmm. which kind of, I think connects a little bit to this too. Yeah. And how she is kind of on her own, you know, her parents are out of her life. Her siblings aren't there for her. She's separated from her husband. And so she's sort of free to pursue this hobo slash hiker alone, solitary lifestyle, which not very many women get to experience that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about probably the most gruesome story. Oh my god! That comes up in the book. Yeah. And the movie covers it a little bit, but it's very. It is not as bad in the movie. <sighs> so, 
uh, the mother, her mother had a horse. Yeah. And after she passed away, this horse was still at like the family house. Her stepdad's house. Her stepdad's house. And she noticed like it was still alive, but it looked awful. Mm-hmm. And she had told her stepdad, like, we have to we have to put it down. Like, it's just it's just suffering. Like, yeah. it's too old. It's mm-hmm. winter now. And the stepdad kind of ignores it and doesn't yeah. do anything about it, which leads her to say, like, OK, I think we we need to handle this. And they could either pay a vet to do it, which they have, like, no money, mm-hmm. or they can kill the horse themselves. And she talks to... Her grandpa. Her grandpa about it. And he's like, if you shoot it right between the eyes, it'll end quickly. Like, yeah. that's just, that's all you have to do. People have been shooting horses that way for forever. Yep. Like, just, you know, kill it and do the humane thing. Yeah. So she uh, calls Leaf, who... Is, is her brother. Is her brother. And kind of the only one who knows how to shoot a gun or has done frequently. Yeah. And they get together and they find the horse. Oh my God. So they lead the horse out and they, he lines it in its sights and shoots it. And the horse like jolts back, but it doesn't fall over. Yeah. And it's still, it's like still alive shot right between the eyes, but like, it's still like staggering around and they're like, Oh my God, like shoot it again, shoot it again. Like, you know, and then he just keeps shooting the horse and she talks about like the blood and how it like is still alive and looks really confused and like really sad. And how the horse is just like, really like doesn't know what's happening and is clearly like in pain and is just like suffering. And it's so awful. And finally the horse like dies. Like they actually run out of bullets from shooting it. Yeah. But it dies slowly and it like finally dies. And it's, it is awful. Oh <laughs> like, my God. It is the worst. And in, in the movie, it's just like one shot. They kill it and like that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> I, I, I don't blame them. But yeah, yeah. Uh, when we were listening to this in the car, we were just looking at each other. We were like, like oh my oh. God, this is so awful. But it was really, I don't know. It was one of those, you know, I, I, I wasn't necessarily tying it metaphorically to any specific thing in the book yeah but it's one of those stories that just felt so uh right for this book yeah. you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's connection to her mom and having to put it down and it and being, her feeling guilt like yes. not just over her mother but over this horse and it being really difficult mm-hmm. um so it was a really gruesome story but it was really it was really good though impactful Imp- impactful yeah mm-hmm. so this leads us pretty much to the end yeah uh she she reaches the, uh, the the bridge end, of the gods, the bridge of the gods, and she gets to cross it and mm-hmm. touches tags home. You know, just touches the uh, the toll booth, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then she's pretty much in Portland or close to it. Yeah, she talks about how when when it ends, she just feels very grateful for her time that she had on the trail and the things that it showed her about herself, and um, kind of that opportunity for her to do this in her life. And then in the book, she and in the movie too, she talks about how there were things that the trail taught her and had given to her that she wasn't, she didn't know yet, but she would soon how only in a few days she would eventually meet like the guy that she would one day marry. And then, you know, she would have two children and name her daughter after her mother and then sort of like come back to this. And then one day, like write the story about it. Cause she doesn't write, her memoir until like 15 ish, 20 years later. Yeah, I was like, how do you remember anything? <laughs> she did journal during the that's trail. true. That's mm-hmm. true. So that probably helped a lot. But yeah. Yeah. It, it was a very, and the movie ends in a similar fashion, her on the bridge and yeah. they pull, um, some of the, the actual voiceover or the, what's written in the book. Yeah. 
the Reese Witherspoon, yeah, does kind of a voiceover narration of those last lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess this leads us to the only question that matters. The only question that matters. In the whole world <laughs> right now. What is better, Wild the book or Wild the movie? Um, so for me, the choice is very clear. I love the book. Like, I really enjoyed it. I've read it before, and then I loved getting to listen to it. Like, it was so good to have it told to I'm me. I'm not sure and have I knew you read talk. this before. Yeah, I'd read it before. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought we were experiencing this together, Adina. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> it was still nice to hear it, though, and to, like, get to listen to it with you. No, you ruined it. <laughs> oh, babe. I had this memory of us, and it was special, and it's gone. You murdered it. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, but, and I think it, I just love her, her voice and her narration. Like I had such sympathy for her, but I didn't feel like it was overdone too much, you know? And I love her story and she was so relatable in, in a lot of ways. Um, and it's not that I didn't like the movie. I just felt like it didn't work as well as the book did handling the material specifically what I didn't like was like what you said about all the flashbacks being kind of like choppy and throughout and so you you kind of it's hard to get a clear picture of her childhood whereas in the book there's a lot of she gets more time to explain and you kind of get a flavor for what her life was like yeah and then there's a lot more about the trail too which is so interesting and yeah I don't know and I, I I feel like her voice wasn't as strong in the movie either. And that's mm-hmm. the thing I pretty much liked the most about the book is her, her voice and her narr- narration and, you know, her funny stories and how she felt about herself. And then, um, you know, getting to hear her, her stories and being kind of like getting to relate to her in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because if I were, if I was like writing an analysis of this book, adaptation I'd say that like 80% of it they got right like it's really close to being a really good adaptation like I love the way it's filmed I appreciate him interspersing the background you know as it was uh throughout the story but for me that the things that were off kind of really threw it for me a bit yeah um i think the the flashbacks were too frequent and dense because honestly the bulk of the movie is in her life story yeah you know what i mean Mm -hmm. in the events of her life the 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 hiking the trails just like i said the framework that kind of holds it all together yeah um but when the bulk of the movie you know these flashbacks is so jumbled and jarringly cut together it it kind of feels like the movie just kind of got dumped on a table yeah. you know what i mean like the scenes kind of could have gone anywhere put together like you know I, I said it earlier with the scene she dies shortly after there's another flashback of just another scene of her and her mom yeah that kind of wasn't super significant Important. or you know interesting that i think could have been cut and there were a lot of scenes i guess like that and I would have said, you know, if this was something I was adapting, I probably would have done the same thing the director did in terms of like, yeah, focus on the backstory. Like, that's where the character is. That's where her development is. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, I think so much more could have been done on the trail. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, 
maybe some of this background could have been disclosed in dialogue she had with other characters. That's true. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I think you could have not everything had to be shown because there does feel like a disconnect a little bit between her walking the trail and all this other stuff that's happened. Yeah. You know, she has a few moments of like realization or kind of thinking about her mom or a breakdown. Mm-hmm. But I, I I don't know. It just felt like the stuff that was being seen in the flashbacks was disconnected from where she was yeah. and what she was doing. And so much of the book is so interesting because of the hiking, mm-hmm. the things that happened. Yeah. And I love in 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 a nonfiction like this, all those really interesting, like minute details about like, oh, you know, um, her not about, about real experienced hikers um, really being concerned about the weight of the backpack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, the pros and cons of types of shoes, like little things like that are really interesting in a nonfiction. Yeah. And I kind of wish a little bit more of that had been brought to the movie. The movie really went for the emotional. Oh, yeah. Like Grand Slam moments and, mm-hmm. you know, all those really big character building bullet points. Yeah. But I kind of wish a lot of it. A lot more of it was about her just on the trail mm-hmm. and the monotony of it. The monotony and also like how the primal need, her focus on basic needs, you know, yeah. and not even being able to think about her trauma because like she's just trying to survive, you know? Yeah. And that stuff was touched upon. I just didn't feel like it was, I don't know, as interesting as it could have been. Yeah. So like I said, I feel like. 80% of it was there. Mm-hmm. Like it was close to being a good adaptation, but it just, I don't know, something about the final execution of it didn't jive with me. So I'm, I'm definitely for the book too. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think the movie sort of had a weird tone to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. In what way? Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> On the spot. Explain yeah. the tone specifically. Yeah, I, I can't really explain. I guess it just has that more like like you were saying, very dramatic feeling. Whereas the book, yes, it was there was dramatic moments. But oh, you know what I think part of it is, at least for me, the movie's kind of cold. Yeah. You know, there's so many moments in the book with her meeting other hikers and like yeah. all this warmth and mm-hmm. like her like trusting people and like all this. But like the movie felt colder about it. You yeah. know, she wasn't as she trusting. felt. Yeah, she felt more guarded. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. There was a lot of like. And you didn't get as many experiences. No. Because you can't fit it all. There obviously. was so much positivity in the book in that way. Yeah. And I feel like the movie was kind of cold mm-hmm. in its tone in that in that regard. That's a good point. Thank you for helping me out. There. <laughs> <laughs> no, I only thought of that now. So Yeah. So for me, the book is definitely better. So read it if you haven't, because it is amazing. OK, same. Let's do the lightning round. Lightning round. Okay, so there's a great part early on when she makes her first stop at uh, Kennedy Meadows uh-huh. where a guy's helping her unload her pack a bit because she's just overstuffed it, and w- which is why it's so heavy. And at one point, he is like going through her stuff and he's like, uh, do you think you're going to really need these? And he pulls out like a whole roll of condoms. <laughs> and it's so funny. She's like super embarrassed, especially because this guy's like an Eagle Scout, yeah. like a straight cut guy. She's like... No, probably not. (laughs) But she secretly like tears one off when he's not looking, which is the condom she has later. But so she takes that that and everything else she doesn't need and puts it in a box that's for anyone to pick up, like if they need stuff. 
And later when she's leaving, she looks back in the box and the whole roll of condoms is gone. <laughs> and it's so funny because there were multiple guys at the at Kennedy Meadows who she sees later and knows. And it's like, it's almost like a whodunit mystery of like who stole the condoms. Who took the condoms. And she's kind of like, maybe Doug took them. Like, <laughs> Doug's not bad looking. Or maybe it was Tom. Like, I kind of like Tom. <laughs> it's so funny. The condom incident. There's this great scene with her pack, which she named nicknames Monster because it's so big and it's so crazy and she hates it, but she loves it at the same time. Um, so when she first is leaving to get on the trail, she hitchhikes to get to the trail from her hotel and these guys drop her off and they set the pack right on the ground where she kind of wanted to like leave it in their van so she could kind of like hook her arms around it and stand up with it with it being kind of elevated but the guy puts it down on the ground before she can stop him and then she just sort of like stands next to it and is sort of like okay thanks for the ride and like doesn't want to like show them you're yeah. like trying to get her pack on because she has to like sit down and then like get on her hands and knees with it and then like <laughs> crawl and like get up with it she has this whole method for like that's really embarrassing for getting up with her pack on yeah it's so funny she's like you can go i'm fine <laughs> don't watch me <laughs> um if this book had an alternate title it would be horny for snapple because <laughs> for some reason uh, she becomes like, she loves Snapple lemonade. Like she becomes obsessed with it. And she was like, I've never even like, I don't even think I drank one before this trip. But for some reason, when she's on the trail, she thinks about that <laughs> and just like has to buy it at every store she's at. And like at one point, she doesn't have enough money for it. But she's like, maybe I'll just pull it out of the freezer and, and look, look at, at it. it. <laughs> and then she's like, maybe I'll just carry it. And then like she basically like makes the woman feel bad for her and she lets her take she it. She gives her a pity snapple. She gives her a pity snapple. It's so funny. <laughs> oh, what's super cool, too, about the book that I don't think we got to mention was that she's reading books throughout her whole trail. Yeah, trip. yeah. Um, and there's a list of the books that she read um, that we can give you guys later. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, they're really good and interesting books, but she kind of like looks forward to this time, like after her hiking day, she'll like quickly set up camp, make some food, and then like get into her tent and get her book and kind of like snuggle in for the night. Mm -hmm. And how it kind of is like an escape from the monotony and like, the pain of the trail and it becomes this like really beautiful thing for her but she can't carry these books on the trail because it's a lot of weight so she starts she just is burning them She'll <laughs> along the way yeah, she tears out the pages she's read yeah and burns them <laughs> and it's there's a great line in the movie where the guy uh, a guy's telling her to do this yeah. like to save weight and she's like you want me to burn books and he's like i promise you won't become a nazi <laughs> like it's fine yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk about the handsome men. Oh, yeah. Also, Cheryl throughout the movie or throughout the book. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cheryl throughout the book is always talking about how the men on the trail are like really handsome. <laughs> like every hiker she comes across, like no matter what their age is, she's like, he was a handsome man. He had a handsome face. Also, this one was a handsome man. Like she just appreciates these men. And there's one part where she specifically talks about how she is reminded about how much she loves men and yeah. <laughs> she just appreciates their beauty. I think it's when she's sleeping with Jonathan yeah. and he like has his arms around her and, and she's, she's like, like mm, this men. is why I love men. <laughs> There's so many men hikers around. So it's just like, Ooh, handsome men everywhere. 
there were there were interesting uh, stories about the production of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually Reese Witherspoon has said it was like the hardest shoot she's ever had to do. Wow. Um, both physically uh, and emotionally, um, which which I, I thought was uh, just very interesting. Mm-hmm. There's something else I was going to say about that that I forgot. Oh, the the tent. Oh, oh yeah. So, um, the director to kind of like get a good performance out of her, I guess, like <laughs> gave her the tent without directions and gave her the stove without directions and just filmed her trying to use them. <laughs> so her like actual frustration with trying to use them is real. Reese Witherspoon <laughs> is all of us trying to set up a tent. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Uh, it was cool too because um, young Cheryl in the movie was actually portrayed by Cheryl Strayed's real life daughter Bobby yeah um so they they used her and she looked a lot like Cheryl and I was like she looks a lot like Cheryl's pictures and it's because <laughs> her, it's her actual daughter yeah that was neat so I think that does it for lightning round yeah that about wraps it up <laughs> thanks for uh thanks for listening to this episode mm-hmm. excited to do our first nonfiction yeah memoir. We, we won't wait as long to do another one yeah uh but yeah we hope you guys liked it uh, if you want to give us a rating on iTunes, That'd you should do that. Find yeah. us on iTunes. And Be like, wow, that episode was so good. I just want to give them a five star rating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you have suggestions for us to for uh, books or anything to do in the future, you can email us at cover to credits pod at gmail dot com or tweet at us at uh, at cover two credits. That's the number two. Uh, what you thought about Wild? Any mm-hmm. suggestions you have? Uh, for future episodes we are we have gotten some suggestions for future episodes that we are going to do coming up so so look forward to that yeah and give us any more that you might have oh also we are going to do a christmas episode for our next episode yes so get excited about our christmas themed cover to credits episode whatever adaptation you think we're gonna do it's not that we're not doing it (laughs) you will never guess you're not gonna know (laughs) but you'll love it (laughs) all right so thanks for listening thanks Bye. Bye.